Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Well, I'm going to begin by asking you a couple of questions. And what you really believe to be the answer, not what you might say to be the answer, but what you really believe to be the answer will tell you if you are really living in the new covenant or not. First question, what power is there that is able to overcome self, sin, the devil, and the world? Second question, what has the power to turn you from the misery of sinning to the joy of bearing fruit for God? Is the answer basically uh, commandments and laws, or is it something more? If the house, if your house is on fire, do you need a book on how to put out fires, or do you need a fire hose immediately? Well, you need water gushing out of a fire hose. If you're in a boat that is rapidly sinking in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, do you need a sign that says what to do in case of emergency? Or do you need a Coast Guard rescue ship? You need the ship. Well, my point in asking those questions is to emphasize that our battle with sin, your battle with sin, requires a much bigger answer than even Christians sometimes imagine. You think you will conquer your sin problem with laws and rules, obedience to commandments, but the reality is you need something more radical to help than laws or rules or commandments can give you. Our problem, to say the least, is bigger than a set of rules can help. Terry Virgo said, the purpose of Romans 7 is to show the inability of law of the law to transform human beings. If you are trying to stuff your anger problem by obeying the law against anger or trying to be good and godly just by keeping a set of rules, you need bigger answers. You need a God-sized answer. You don't treat cancer with cough drops. And you don't treat sin with rules, principles, and laws. What the law could not do, God did. The only sufficient answer to the tyranny of sin, to the presence of sin, is Jesus Christ experienced by his spirit dwelling in you. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The Holy Spirit is the sanctifying power, the sanctifying influence at work continually in you under the grace of the new covenant. And that is how you are set free from sin. That is how you are how you bear fruit, how you grow, how you are changed. John Brown in a in a very old commentary on Romans which I love said this. He called the Holy Spirit the grand instrument of Christian sanctification. Now, it really does matter that you know this because there is a distorted version of Christianity 
that can creep into your life, that burdens you, that kills your faith and your joy. It feels heavy. It feels like a straitjacket, or as Francis Schaeffer described it, a coat that fits too tight. You feel like a load of demands upon you, and you feel powerless to carry them out. And as, as I see it, the normal pattern, even for believers, is to feel that they can keep the laws and rules. They will just work harder than they have before. Or they will work harder than that other person, that other man or woman. But then there is failure and there is frustration. Later on, as it says in Romans, you want to, but you don't. And then there's condemnation. And you end up feeling like Paul when he said, what a wretched man I am. And the Christian life is just no fun at all. Now, in reality, a person who is born of God and who has the Spirit of God dwelling in them, a person who is genuinely saved and united with Christ, is under the new covenant and cannot actually be put back under law. But by losing sight of these truths, by being ignorant of these truths, or by slipping into unbelief about these truths, you can end up thinking and feeling as if you are under the law and live a frustrated, up-and-down, condemned sort of life. And nothing can burn you out faster than trying to carry or, or carrying the burden of trying to be righteous without the power to be righteous without knowing and believing and trusting in the power to be righteous. It is like pushing a heavy stone uphill. It is like pushing a really heavy stone uphill. It is like, sort of like driving your car with a policeman in the back seat with his Iowa Code of Driving Regulations, and he is continually reminding you of every regulation and then keeping track of your, of your violations. There is this external pressure to obey the speed limit. This external authority demands that you do the right thing. But he doesn't help you to do the right thing. You're just on your own up there driving in the front seat. Now, the driving laws might be good and right. You might even agree with them. But it seems like driving has become a burden with that policeman in the back seat. Jesus addressed this feeling when he said, Come to me, all you are weary and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. In effect, Jesus said, Are you tired and worn out and burdened with all this law-based religion that the Pharisees have imposed upon you? He said, I am the answer to that. And he ushered in the new covenant with a new way of living that brought life and power, not just demands. Now, Romans uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6, gives us the essence of the new covenant way of living. And for those of you that may have missed last Sunday, we are starting a new series. Josh kicked it off last week about new covenant living. And verse 6, in my opinion, gives us the essence of new covenant living. Now... And it's very important. This is, this is a verse to think about, to meditate on, memorize, put it on your refrigerator, whatever. Now we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. 
Very simply, it says there's two ways of living. One belongs to the old way or the old covenant, and one belongs to the new way or the new covenant. The, the old way is the law, to work, to keep an externally imposed commandment or standard. The new way is to live by the power of the Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who is the only full and certain power to overcome self, sin, the devil, and the world. Several weeks ago, we had one of those prayer meetings at, at our house on Wednesday night, and I was talking with, with uh, David Janicek, uh, and I think Jason uh, also. We were, we were talking after that prayer meeting on one Wednesday night, and uh, David said something that, that really stayed with me. He said, one of the problems in churches that do not emphasize the Holy Spirit is that all you have left is the law. In other words, if you do not honor the Spirit as the power of the Christian life, the only way you can seek to change yourself or other people is through rules of behavior, commandments, codes of conduct, written or or spoken expectations that you try to get yourself or other people to, to conform to. Without the Spirit, all you have is a religion of law. All you have is a religion of self-effort. And again, it's like pushing a heavy stone uphill. Now, Paul says in these verses that you were once married to the law, to this law-based way of living. But he declares emphatically that we have been released from that. He uses the analogy of marriage. In other words, this is not a passage about marriage, okay? This, he uses the analogy of marriage to describe your bondage to the law. And he uses the death of a spouse to demonstrate your release. Romans 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. If she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So in this illustration, and that's what it is, it's an illustration or or an, an analogy, the law is a husband to whom a woman is bound. All right, we've got, got that picture. And here is something like what, what Paul is saying here. This, this picture is a woman married to a perfectionistic and demanding man. He comes home and he checks to see if she dusted under the bed, if she has all his socks folded. He has thousands of commandments and rules for her. And although they are very good rules, she cannot keep them all. And even worse, he condemns her for her failures to live up to those expectations. But then he dies, probably to her relief. Then she meets another man, a kind and loving man. They fall in love and get married. Now she does dishes and cleans a house out of love. She serves her new husband, but in a completely new way. Now, this is, is, is to a certain degree what Paul is saying. 
And in Paul's illustration, you and I are the woman who is married to this, to this husband. We are bound to this husband who represents the law. We are bound to this husband who rules by laws and commands. The husband is the law. But then Paul adds this little twist, and he goes on to say that you and I, the wife, the woman in the illustration, are the one who dies. Verse 10, verse 4, so my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you might belong to another, to be married or joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, who's that? Jesus, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Now, before you get lost in this simple story, and I actually believe it is meant to be a very simple illustration, although people get very confused with it. Before you get lost in this simple story, here is all you need to remember. You were at one time bound to the law, much as a woman is bound by law to her husband in marriage. Okay, But now you are released from the law much as a woman is released from her husband when he dies. And now you are joined or married to Christ. Right? And the new covenant way of living is this, that you are now married to Jesus Christ. You are joined to him. Now, there's a few key, key points that I, that I, that I want, want to bring out from this for you. The thing that released you from the law is not that the law died. The commandments are there. They will always be there. They are eternal. They are good. They are holy, righteous. But the, the, the thing that released you from the law is that you died. Through Christ or in Christ, you died. You died to sin, as we know from Romans 6, but you also died to the law and to law-keeping. You are therefore freed from the law and law-keeping as a way of life. It's over. You know, uh, we have this saying around our house that we learned from Leona. Kenny, even in his 90s, even recently, a couple months ago, he was wondering if he could get a job at Jade Garden or something. And, and Leona would say, Kenny, those days are over. And we love that saying because there's just certain things that they're over. And you just have to say, those days are over. And that's what Paul is saying about your relationship to the law and to, and to viewing living life as basically a system of keeping commands and laws and rules. Those days are over. You died. You've been released from that. Your break with the law is that total. It's as total as death. Number two, you died so, to the law so that you might belong to or be joined to or be married to to him who was raised from the dead. In other words, your relationship under the new covenant, your relationship, your, your Christian life, your living, the way you, that you think, uh, your experience, your, your whole relationship is not with words, not with something written in ink. Uh, not with commandments or some external list of expectations, but your relationship is with a living person who indwells you by his spirit so that you might bear fruit for God. 
A man and a woman joined in marriage bear fruit. They have kids. A person joined to Christ bears fruit for God. Just as miraculously, as, as, as mysteriously and, and miraculously as, as conception and birth are on a human level, so miraculous is this relationship of being joined to Christ and then bearing fruit for God. I mean, there is a mystery about it. I can't explain it all. It's just somehow when you are connected to Jesus, somehow when you love Jesus, when you, uh, when you abide in him, uh, when you turn your eyes to him, when you uh, live in this marriage relationship with Jesus, if you will, somehow it just happens. You bear fruit for God. You become all that you're supposed to be. And it's not, it's not that Christ is, is, a, is, is, is still an external person just telling us what to do. Uh, he has sent his spirit into our hearts to conform us to his will, to help us do all that is pleasing in his sight. He has sent his spirit into us to help us bear, to bear fruit through us. And... I don't want to pounce on this idea because it's not totally wrong, but there, this is somewhat of the inadequacy of the uh, what would Jesus do idea. Because we need more than just to imitate Jesus. He is our example. That is a part of it. So I don't, I don't throw that out completely. But he is our example. But it is more than that. And, and, and it, is, it is more than that at its very core. The, the very core of the Christian life isn't just that we ask what, what would Jesus do and try to do it. The very core of the Christian life is that we are married to Jesus and through his spirit, he bears fruit in us. He indwells us and makes us capable of doing right and righteous and good and godly things. Now, we do not have time this morning to get into a full explanation of the law. Uh, But most of you here know that you cannot be saved by keeping the law. You know that you, you can only be saved by trusting in the merit and the work of Jesus Christ, the righteousness of Jesus Christ on your behalf. The laws of God, the law of God, the commandments of God can define sin. They can tell you what sin is and what it is not. But the law cannot forgive sins. And the purpose of the written code of laws is actually to make you see your failure, to lead you to cry out for help, to see that you cannot measure up, to see that you cannot save yourself. The purpose of the law is really to act as a teacher or a tutor to turn you to Jesus to save you. Romans 3 verse 20 very clearly says, no human will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law. I would say that most of us know that and have heard that, would be in agreement with that. But what you may not know is that the law is just as powerless to sanctify you as it is to save you. To sanctify means to to become holy, to grow, to bear fruit for God. And the law is just as powerless to sanctify you as it is to save you. It cannot remove your sin from you or reduce your amount of sinning. The law cannot produce fruit. Written instructions never made an apple grow. 
written commandments have never produced kindness or patience or love of God. Only the Spirit does that. Verse 5. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. Okay, Paul's taking us back to before we were saved. And he, he talked about what did the law do? What, what effect did the law have? Before we were saved, it aroused our sinful impulses and tendencies. Rules, codes, laws, even God's good laws stirred up sin, it says. Actually aroused it. It not only made us conscious of sin and sin's gripped on, grip on us, but it actually worked to increase our sin. Our sinful passions were at work, and we bore the fruits of immorality, of anger, of rage, of speaking and saying horrible things to one another, selfishness, greed, creating discord, coveting what others have, and on and on and on. And without a new heart, and without the power of the Spirit at work in dwelling in you, all the law can do is work together with your sinful passion to increase your law-breaking and then to condemn you for being a lawbreaker. Now, the Jewish people would have said, these laws were given to make you holy, to make you suitable to approach God. The New Covenant, or Paul says, actually, and somewhat shockingly, these laws arouse sin or stir up sin. The New Covenant says it is impossible to be justified or to be right with God by keeping a written code of laws or written commandments. And it is impossible to live the new life in Jesus by keeping a written code of laws. It is impossible uh, to be sanctified, again, to become holy, to become godly, to become fruitful by this method of living. In fact, Paul argues that the law is actually an enemy to sanctification. It keeps people, it keeps people in this perpetual state of struggle with sin and condemnation and a perpetual state of infancy because they are focusing on this, the external instead of this internal abiding relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus dwelling in you. Again, not because there is something wrong with the law. God's law is good and holy and righteous. It, it is worthy of our, our love and, ador- and adoration. The problem is that there is something wrong with human beings. You don't have the power in yourself to live for God and to please God. You cannot please God, live for God, bear fruit for God, serve God without a new power a new life without the Spirit. So the legalist tries to solve your sin problem by bringing the law to you. You know, He sees that you need to sin less, so he says, well, here's the rules, here's the code, here's the steps, here's the expectations, or maybe even here are the ceremonies or the rituals. But the gospel of Jesus teaches just the opposite. If you want to be freed from sinning, you must be freed from the law and law-keeping as a way of life. And, thank God, we were. Verse 6, 
But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Again, the emphasis, God wants you to know you have been completely released from trying to serve him by just by law keeping. And now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. I mean, could it be said any plainer, any clearer? And the other point of this verse, that he has provided a new way to live by the Spirit or in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We serve in the new way of the Spirit. You can, you should, I hope you do, confidently say, you know, maybe even daily or hourly, through Jesus Christ, the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. I mean, that's where we're to live. That's what, that's, that's what our calling is under the new covenant. The moral requirement of the law is fulfilled in those who walk by the Spirit, Romans 8, 4. Romans eight eleven. If the, if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus in the life... In the, excuse me. Let me start over. <laughs> Romans eight eleven. If the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. And in, in that context, it's talking about life that overcomes... The old life, life that overcomes sin. And if the spirit of God lives in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead, he will give you life. Again, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. He gives the power, the energy, the dynamic to live this new life. Now, with all that the Bible says, it is incredible to me that we could ever consider our relationship with the Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, a side issue. It's incredible to me to think that we could ever consider our relationship with the Holy Spirit a side issue. Christ died and rose again to, to prepare us for his future indwelling in us by his Spirit. The goal of his death and resurrection and ascension was so that he could send his spirit into your heart. The spirit is the promise of the new covenant. I mean, that's it. <laughs> Jesus said, it is necessary that I go away so that the Holy Spirit, the helper, can come to you with, co with comfort, with help, with counsel, with fellowship. That's the way I'm going to, he will be my spoken word, my living word in you, spoken in you, working in you, operating in you. So at the risk of just, you know, repeating myself over and over again, here's the one thing I want you to take from this. The power of the Christian life is not written words or commandments, but the spirit of God living and working in you. The law the laws can show us what we ought to do and what we ought to be, but only 
the Spirit can make us what we ought to be and help us do what we ought to do. Only the Spirit can make you good. Only the Spirit can produce new life in you continuously, daily, at all times, in all places, in all situations. And if you follow, learn to follow and walk in the Spirit, if you yield yourself to Him, trust in Him to bear fruit, He will do that. Now, two ways, very briefly, that this passage or this new covenant way of living can be misinterpreted. Number one, some people are prone to misinterpret this message to say that because I died to the law, great, I can just go live by whatever I want to do. I can just go live by the impulses of the flesh. They may think they can go out and sin, and that's okay. But we died to the law not so that we could just live carelessly. We died to the law so that we could live freely, okay? But we, we did not die to the law so that we could just go live carelessly, loosely, uh, in sinful passions, or just kind of, as just sort of free spirits with no faithfulness to God or others. No, we were freed from the law so that we could be joined to Christ to bear fruit for God. God saved you to free you from sin and to manifest his righteousness in you and through you. You See, the, the Christian life is not only that you are declared righteous as, as fantastic and foundational and, and magnificent as that is. You are not only declared righteous, you are saved to live out a righteous life. And the message of Romans 7, 1 through 6 is that God's righteousness is produced in you not by the power of the flesh and the law, but through a written code. Not through a written code, but through the power of the Spirit. So new covenant living is just is a new way of, it's of serving God. A new way of bearing fruit. There is a great freedom in it. Great freedom, great liberty, the liberty of the sons of God. But it is, it is not a liberty to live for self, um, as Paul says in Galatians. Number two, because we say the Spirit empowers us to change, some people say things like this. I will just have to keep on losing my temper until the Spirit changes me. I can't do it myself, so... You will just have to put up with my foul mouth until the Spirit stops me. I would like to stop looking at pornography, but the Spirit hasn't taken that sin away from me yet. There is no thinking like this anywhere in the Bible. This really, to speak this way, is really to discredit and deny the power of the Spirit. It is to discredit and to deny the power of the new covenant life. It's to deny, really, that the power of the Spirit is there dwelling in me to overcome, to set me free from the law of sin and death. And as long as anyone thinks like that, he or she will pretty much be trapped where they are. Applications. 
And I, I've, got, I've got a few more than usual this morning, uh, just in an effort to help, to, to help us make sure that we really get, get this. Uh, first one, when you wake up in the morning, you are completely free from the demands of some kind, any kind of written code of expectations. You are completely free to look to Jesus. You say, Lord, I am joined to you. Bear fruit through my life today. Hebrews 13, uh, verses 20 and 21 is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture and is, is such, a, um, such a beautiful expression of new covenant living. And it's, it's really stated as, as, a, as a prayer. And I would encourage you to learn this prayer, to pray this prayer. And it says, Now may the God of peace, who raised up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, himself equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. Whenever you feel that you just can't carry on, whenever you feel so inadequate to, to live for God the way that you're called to and want to, you just, you just turn to God and say, Now, God, God of peace, you who raised up the great shepherd of the sheep, equip me in every good thing to do your will, working in us, working in me, that which is pleasing in your sight. And... Uh, to me, that is just that's so fantastic that God, God is the one who equips you through his spirit is the one who equips you in every good thing to do his will. He is the one who works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. And so we, we just gladly um, cast ourselves upon him and and his power and his spirit. Second application we are not trying to develop a church full of people who keep rules and live up to external expectations. But we are trying to develop a church full of people who know Jesus, abide in Jesus, and who live consistently in the life of the Spirit He gave us. You know, the church is not just a school for teaching moral virtues or good manners. I mean, essentially, we are here to to connect you to Jesus and help you to live in that connection of the Spirit and thus bear fruit and all that we've talked about this morning. Number three, legalism or imposing laws on people is not the cure for careless or worldly living. You know, when we, when we see believers behaving badly, saying things they should not say, going places they should not go, watching or seeing things they should not see. It is so tempting to try to put a stop to these kinds of things by imposing the law and by um, just saying, okay, don't go to this. Don't go to this kind of movie. Stop watching that TV program or stop watching so much TV or stop sleeping in on Sunday mornings. And, you know, and there is a place to talk to people about those kind of things. But the real issue 
is that that brother or sister is really not living in this abiding relationship with Jesus and his spirit. And that ultimately is where we need to take people. Because if we don't get people there, we, we might pressure them into doing something uh, for a short time. Uh, we might talk them into doing the right thing for a little bit, but it's just going to fizzle out. People need to live consistently. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about Monday morning, Monday noon, Monday afternoon, Monday night, Tuesday morning. You know, you get the picture. I'm talking about all the time living in this abiding relationship with the Holy Spirit. Number three or four or whatever. Um, watch out for messages that pull you from simple continual dependence upon the indwelling Spirit of God or pull you into condemnation of the law. And it can be, come from surprising places. You know, Harvey McKay writes a column for the Des Moines Register in the business section on success and happiness. And years ago, I read a book by him, and I, for some reason, I, I read that. And every column, he gives you a list of things to do. I mean, every column, he has bullet points. And if any, anybody else here seen that or not? Okay. All right. And uh, like here are some recent ones. Always review your goals. Adjust your energy level. Eliminate tasks that leave you feeling drained. Resist the urge to vent. Find your stress triggers and avoid those situations. Show up on time for work or better yet, be early. Network. Ask for people. Ask for help for people who can mentor you. Volunteer. Join a task force or a committee. Take on projects that no one else wants. Stay ahead of the industry development. Study trade publications. Study market trends. Love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. Make happiness your aim. Brush away that chip from your shoulder. Be friendly. Always project a pleasant attitude. Attend all company events. Connect outside the regular workday with managers and coworkers. Whew. I mean, I don't know how you could even remember to do that, that stuff. And you know what? Next Monday in the register, there'll be 10 more. And, you know, some people view the Christian life kind of like Harvey McKay's advice column. Just kind of an endless list of good ideas. And Harvey does have some good ideas. But I'm telling you, it is far better to get up in the morning and talk to the Spirit and simply speak to Him and ask for the power to help you today, in this moment, live for the glory of God. To say to the Spirit, who is the Lord, what shall I do in this situation? What shall I say? Enlighten me, help me, uphold me, strengthen me. And taking from a quote I read to our life group, he will become your master, your guide, your support, your protector, your invincible upholder. Number five, and you know, I really don't think this has a lot of application maybe to people in our body, but, but it... Um, there's been kind of a thing about this in, in Christian circles, especially over the past couple of decades. Beware of excessive dependence on accountability partners or groups. You know, we each need other people to encourage us. We need to be in, in the church body, okay? We need to be in small groups. We need to be on one-on-one relationships. Loners do not do well. But the other extreme is to expect other people to keep me in line. You know, call me each week and see if I had my hour of devotions. Or call me and see if I read my Bible. 
Or ask me, and, and this, there, there's literally, some of these things are suggestions for men's group to do. Ask me and see, you know, call me each week and see if I looked at pornography or yelled at my wife this week. Check to see if I went to church. In other words, kind of put some pressure on me. Hold me accountable. But what happened to the Holy Spirit? And I'm just saying that those kind of things can, I'm not saying they're all bad, but they can get to the point where the Holy Spirit is really out of the picture. Encouragement and exhortation to live a godly life is good. Let's, let's not fall off the other side of the wagon here. But God wants the power and direction of our lives to come from inside, from the impulses, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Or to put it as Romans 6 says, you became obedient from the heart. That's where God is taking you. Number six, you cannot make the Christian life all about following the activities and disciplines of another person. You know, Luther said he prayed three hours every morning and more than that if he had a lot to do. But if you set that as a law for yourself, I'm pretty sure you're going to fail miserably. You know, many godly people do amazing things that are born in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's not law to them. But if you go and try to copy that on your own in the flesh, you will experience something less than new covenant living. So I want to close this morning just by saying this. Our way of life is really lived in the Holy Spirit. Martin, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the Christian life is life in the Spirit. It's a short thing, but it's so true. Our way of life, it's, it's obedience to the Holy Spirit, walking by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, trusting in the Spirit for continual power, inspiration. I mean, the Bible views the Holy Spirit as a very real Thing. And I really shouldn't say thing, but you know what I mean. A very real person operating in you, influencing you, working in you, speaking in your soul, manifesting himself through you. He comes to you with fruit, love, joy, and peace, self-control. And so I, I, would, I would say this, and I, I understand that, 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 that this could maybe be misapplied or, or taken to an extreme. But I think, I think it's really important to, to do this. Follow and obey everything you believe to be the Holy Spirit. Depend on him moment by moment to help you. Be sensitive to his voice, obedient to his leading. Consciously rely on the Holy Spirit to guide you in thought, word, and deed. And that, that, Paul says, the Bible says, is the transforming power of the new covenant. Let's pray. Father, I echo the prayer that David Janicek prayed at the beginning of this meeting, Lord, or the beginning of the teaching time. Lord, that you would open our ears and our hearts to, to, underst- to, to understand 
these things, to understand these truths, to, to have revelation of them, to really get them, and, and to rejoice in them, to, to be able to receive them into our lives with much joy. And then most of all, just to, 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 be, to begin to practice them, to begin, to begin living out this new covenant way of living, serving God, bearing fruit for God in this new way of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.